0: God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored the Lord is with you Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be
1: I think it was really attributed to GK Chesterton Uh, many of you will know of him but the quote was this in every great story or in every great romance there are three things a hero a maiden and a dragon in every great story There's a hero, there's a maiden, and there's a dragon. I want you to hang on to that. It'll come back to us toward the end of class. And I would add not only to these three things, but also there is a great battle to be fought. What kind of facts do you think she's adding up? Here she's had an appearance of an angel that calls himself Gabriel and tells her that she is highly favored and so on and so forth. And she's standing there dumbfounded, terrified, and she's in her mind casting about with what? Scripture. Scripture. She's beginning to add up the facts of scripture. Now, at, at 14 years of age and being a young woman, the young men, as soon as they became a young man of the law, their bar mitzvah, they got some really intensive training, but not so much the young women. But I'll tell you something interesting, and you can look this up for yourself later on, in what's called the Song of Mary, which comes a little bit later. There are 15 references to Old Testament scriptures. Off the top of her head, she begins to sing, and she sings a song composed of 15 Old Testament texts. Anybody here want to try that tonight? How about 10? Maybe 5? 3? You know, we can get John 3.16 and a couple of others in there. This woman was a scholar of scripture. Which tells me, since it was not pushed to train the young women so much in the law, she was searching on her own. She was hungry. She loved the Word of God. So now we have the announcement, verse thirty. Verse thirty to thirty-three
0: But the angel said to her,
1: Do not be afraid, Mary.
0: You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end.
1: Once again, a packed, packed section. Gabriel comforts Mary, encourages her, do not be afraid. I don't know if you've heard this, but the one command repeated more than all others in scripture. Do not fear. Fear not. Why is that? Because we're creatures of fear. You know why we're creatures of fear? I don't know if you're fearful about what's going on around the world, but there are, you know, sometimes fearful things that we begin to see and faith conquers fear. God intends faith to overcome. And you say, why are we creatures of fear? Because we were born into a sinful race. You know, we're told in Hebrews two, verse 14 and 15, that Satan is the one who holds the power of fear over the human race. Christ came to deliver us from fear. And so Gabriel repeats the message that God so often gives us fear, not Mary, you have found favor with God. Now, one of the things I like to do in studying scripture is find out when words and phrases first occur in the Bible. You have found favor with God. The first time that occurs, anybody have an idea? Noah, Genesis 6, verse 8. The whole world was corrupt, and the Lord looked and saw that the world had corrupted its way before him, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Could I ask you, how do you find favor? Would you like to find favor with God? I would like to find favor with God. You know how you find favor? You look for it you look for it and you have to look in the right place. And if you look in the right place, you'll always find it. It's right here in scripture. And that's why we're gathered here together. And as we open his word, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ is manifest before us because John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth, grace and truth. Have you ever noticed that sometimes scripture mentions things in relation to Jesus backwards from the way it mentions them with us? Luke, for example, in the book of Acts says that he is writing a treatise for Theophilus of all that Jesus began to do and teach. We have to reverse it, don't we? We have to teach and then we do not him. He did first and then he taught. And that's just such An interesting idea. The Lord Jesus, full of grace and truth. For us, we have to be full of truth if we want to get the grace. She found favor, grace, in the sight of God. And he says, behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. It might interest you to know that Jesus in the Hebrew is Yeshua. I'm sure you all knew that. And Yeshua is very interesting because it means the salvation of Jehovah. Yeshua. Where does Yeshua first occur in the Old Testament? Did you know that whenever you read the salvation of the Lord in the Old Testament, you're reading the name in Hebrew, Yeshua. First time it occurs is in Genesis forty nine eighteen. Jacob is giving uh, prophecies concerning his sons. He comes to the son Dan. Most of you know Dan led the nation of Israel into idolatry and has some very very murky uh, things connected to Dan. But as Jacob is giving this prophecy, he says that Dan is like a serpent that bites the heels of the horse and causes the rider to fall. A serpent, by the way, the very next thing he says, oh, Lord, I have waited for Yeshua. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that precious? I think that's just outstanding. It's also used again in Exodus 14, 13. The second time it's used is immediately after the Passover. Moses and the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They finally got to a place. They've got the armies of the Egyptians behind them. They got a mountain on both sides of them. They got the Red Sea in front of them and the people begin to panic. What does Moses say? Stand still and you will see Yeshua. I find that to be absolutely amazing, especially when just the night before, They took the blood of the lamb and put it on. And and by the way, the word to strike, strike the doorposts. They didn't dab here, the doorposts and the lintels. They struck the doorposts and the lintels. What do you think that blood made on the door? Made a cross. Isn't it amazing? So there's three things that Gabriel says this son is going to have. He's going to have the throne of his father David, He's going to reign over his kingdom. And if you drop back earlier, I said I would pick this up in verse 27, the house of David. Once again, Mary is a student of scripture. Mary is sharp. And she hears three things. The son she's going to have, whose name is outstanding in Hebrew, is going to have in order a house, a throne and a kingdom. Can you think of anything that links to in the Old Testament? I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we have one of the great covenants of the Bible enacted. And it's called the Davidic covenant. I'll just read in verse 12, 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, you will rest with your fathers, speaking here to David, and I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now notice particularly verse 13. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see it? A house, a throne, a kingdom. There is no doubt in my mind that Mary was able to put that together. The throne of his father, David, the kingdom that would have no end And this would be the government resting on his shoulders. She asked a question. And the question is, how can these things be? So now we move to the accomplishment. How is it going to be accomplished? Verse 34 to 38. How will
0: this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born
1: When Mary asked the question, how can these things be? It sounds very much like the question Zechariah asked in verse 18. Remember when Gabriel appeared to him and told him he was going to have a son in his old age because God had answered his prayer? How many years before do you think Zacharias had given up praying? He probably prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and no son, no son, no child. Probably got to a point where he said, well, it's just not going to happen. But God had heard his prayer. And when Zechariah said, how shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel rebuked him and said, That's a question of unbelief. Mary's question sounds very much the same. But you see, God knows the hearts. Not everything that someone says being the same with someone else means the same. Not everything someone does being the same that someone else did means the same. God knows the secrets of the heart. And Mary's question here simply has to do with her virginity. I do not know a man. And so the angel said, here's how it's going to happen. God, the father, God, the Holy spirit, and God, the son are going to go to work as a team. And you're going to have a child. That's the Cunningham revised version of verse 35, because that's essentially what he's saying. Notice that he says for the savior to come into the world, it's going to involve the entire Godhead. The Holy spirit, he says, will come upon you." And the power of the highest, the highest here and the most high God, uh, which comes up later on is El Elyon. It's it's the most high God or God most high in the Old Testament. So you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got God, the Father, the power of the God, the Father overshadowing you. Also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit meet together. Further comfort uh, Gabriel gives to uh, Mary here is the encouragement that Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age and is now in the sixth month for her who was called barren. And then he follows it up with the statement for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. How I wish that we could really lay hold of that. Did you ever stop to think? That the amazing, miraculous work that God did in Mary is really, in essence, what he does in every person that comes to Christ. It's a miracle. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Why? Because at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, He in the person of His Holy Spirit takes up personal residence within us. The very fact that you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you says that you have the Godhead within you. Because if you'll go back to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, where Paul says, If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He refers to the Holy Spirit three ways. He is the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of Christ. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all right here. Gabriel said to Mary the Lord is with you. But you know what? The Lord wasn't with her even in the sense that he is with us. God's work in your life is a miraculous work. Paul understood this and Paul staked his entire life on it. When he wrote to the Galatians and he said in Galatians 2:20, I have been crucified with Christ; nevertheless I live, yet not I, see here's the thing, empty yourself, he'll fill you with the spirit. Yet not I, he could have I'm sure there were times he did. He was human, just like all of us. But as an overview, uh, uh, encapsulation of his life, he was able to say, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. How? How is that possible? He said, The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the secret. And it's simple. But simple doesn't mean easy. Sometimes simple can be Very, very hard. It's very interesting that on one occasion, Jesus' disciples, astounded at a statement that he made, said, Who then can be saved? You remember what he said? With men, it's impossible. With men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You can check that out in Matthew 19 26. The last we see of Mary here before she departs from the stage, at least of our study this evening, is that she makes two statements. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. These two statements show us two things about Mary. Number one, they show us her availability. You know, God doesn't need our ability. He needs our availability. To be available is to win the victory. And she says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. In other words, I am a slave to your will. The second one shows her willingness Let it be to me according to your word. Well, what was going to happen according to the word of the angel? A young virgin in one of the most strict societies that has ever lived, as far as sexual morality and other issues was concerned, is going to conceive. Do you think Mary, being as sharp as she was, had an inkling of the cost? Do you think she might have realized that this is going to involve some pain? She recognized, for example, that people were not going to understand her situation. Here she is, a young woman, and all of a sudden she shows up pregnant. There's going to be some shame and disgrace for her to bear. She also would have known this is going to create some pretty severe questions and problems for Joseph, as it did if we look back at the story in Matthew 1, 18 to 20. He was wrestling within his soul. Apparently, Mary didn't go to him and say, oh, by the way, I just want you to know, Gabriel dropped in the other day. He told me some really strange things that are going to happen, so don't sweat it. I know it's going to be tough for a while, but it'll all be all right. Apparently, they never communicated about it. And so here he is wrestling, and it says, when Mary was found to be with child, how do you find somebody to be with child? They start showing, right? She is obviously pregnant, and she is unmarried let it be to me. I wonder how many of us would be able to say if the Lord put in front of us the greatest privilege that anyone could ever have with some of the greatest suffering and anguish that you could ever go through. Could we say, let it be to me according to your word. You know what she does here? She says the same thing her son would say 33 years later in the Garden of Gethsemane. She was going through her own Gethsemane. I remember a little poem I learned a long time ago. All those who journey sooner or late must pass beyond the garden gate, must kneel alone in anguish there and wrestle with some deep despair. God pity those who only pray, let this cup pass, who cannot say, not mine, but thine, who do not see the purpose of Gethsemane. We all have our Gethsemane to go through. You may have been through one in the past. You may be going through one now. You may have one in the future. But We can always say, let it be to me. According to your word, she would have considered the shame that would come on her, the shame that would come on Joseph. But she couldn't have anticipated what was going to be told to her in Luke 2.35 when Simeon meets her and he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now we're talking the cross. We're talking her standing at the foot of the cross, looking at her son and watching him die in anguish. And you know what? There's something else she couldn't have figured. She couldn't figure that 33 years later, as Jesus is contending with the Pharisees, they would take the question of his birth and throw it in his face and say, We were not born of fornication. You'll remember that passage, I'm sure, from John 8 and verse 41, suggesting, of course, that he probably was. So what we have here is a little snapshot of, as I said, what we call the Christian Christmas story, but It's only a part of the romance of redemption. And I want to finish that romance for you by moving from Mary forward 2,000 plus years. If you'll move with me to Revelation, and I'm just only going to hit on it, but I think it's the counterpart of the story that we're reading in Revelation chapter 12. It gives us, as it were, the big picture.
2: A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her
1: head. By the way, this represents Israel, as we know from the dreams of Joseph, but who represents Israel? Blessed are you among women, particularly the women of Israel. appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten
2: horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child at the moment it was born. Here we
1: have Herod and the slaughter of the
2: infants. Birth to a son, a male child who will rule all nations with an iron...
1: Mary could not have known the phenomenal spiritual cosmic conflict that was going on that she was a small player in.
2: ...to the desert, to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of
1: now we're anticipating events taking place in the tribulation period and there was war in heaven michael and his
2: angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but the dragon was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven the great dragon was hurled down the ancient serpent called the devil or satan who leads the whole world astray
1: He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And by the way, the stage of the world has been set for the tribulation. That's where we are right now, my friends. Time is short. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. How many times you think this week the devil brought your name up to God? You know when he accuses us? When we give him a reason to accuse us? You know when else he accuses us? When we're blameless. He especially loves to accuse the blameless. Remember Job? Have you considered Job my servant? What an upright man he is. The most upright faithful man in all the world. Yeah, I considered him. He only trusts you because you protect him. God said, have at him. I think it was Peter that said, 1 Peter 5.8, the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Here is what I hope is our epitaph for the time that we're living in. We do not know what tomorrow holds. We do not know what the next year is going to bring. We do not know what challenges we may face. But we do know one thing. God only accepts victory. The battle is fought to be won. And verse 11 says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even unto death. There are three things here. The blood of the lamb refers to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The word of the testimony I take not to be my personal testimony. I take it to be the word to which I testify. And it's right here. Just the word of my testimony. Here's the challenge. What was it Mary said? Let it be to me according to your word. They love not their lives, even unto death. How can we not love our own life only by loving Christ more? And that's a daily decision and a daily challenge. And I pray that each and every one of us might have verse 11 said of us in the end. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 29 and 30, this I say, brethren, the time is short. Those who weep will be as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. What is he saying here? He's simply saying that there are seasons in life and we have our times of joy. But if we're in the house of feasting, as Solomon speaks of it in the book of Ecclesiastes, we need to know something. There's a day coming. We won't be in the house of feasting. We're going to be in the place of mourning. But you know what else? There's another side of that coin. If you're in the place of mourning, you can take it on the authority of the word of God because he has promised that he works all things together for good. You can be assured, you can be comforted, you can be strengthened to know after the dark comes the dawn. There is light coming, there is joy coming, there is comfort coming, and you can rest in that on the authority of God's word. I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed... Refreshing my own soul from such a marvelous young woman as Mary was. And uh, I'm challenged to be more like her and uh, make a commitment. Let's commit not just to hear, but to do. Gracious Heavenly Father, it is our prayer that we would not be here as the word only, but doers also. It's a challenge for all of us. We wrestle with our humanity. We wrestle with our flesh We wrestle with the old Adamic nature. We wrestle with the tentacles of the world. We wrestle with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And yet, Father, this battle was won for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. We don't win the battle. We simply enter into His victory. We can do that at any time we want. Simply by laying hold of your word, trusting it, resting in it, and allowing God the Holy Spirit, our comforter and our strength, to make these words come alive in our lives. May we do this to the honor and the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this time, our time of history. We pray in his name, amen.